I'm glad to see you today. I, I want to welcome those worshiping with us online. Glad to see you as well. I, I didn't know if we'd have anybody here today. I, I'm glad to see anybody here. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are going to heaven. Go ahead and tell them that right now. These are the folks that will go to heaven right here because they got out in all that monsoon and rain. And rain, it really hit right as our service was starting. But yet you came. I'm so impressed. Well, we've been talking about the last seven words of Jesus from the cross. Now, last week we talked in depth about some things that we're just going to mention briefly today. If you were not here last week, if you did not get to hear the message last week, I want to encourage you to go home and watch it online, if you would. Then you can learn a lot of things that you may not know from last week's message especially. The greatest statement ever made was the sixth word from the cross when Jesus said, It is finished. And that's what we're going to talk about today because we're talking about victory today. From the cross, Jesus gave us examples to follow. You know, we talked about the different words that he said. He gave us the word of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. And he said, I want you to go out and forgive other people the way that I have taught you to forgive. He gave us the word of love. He showed us how to love people. He said, I want you to love family and friends and others. He gave us the word of humanity. He said, I thirst. We talked about that last week. And he said, you and I are supposed to care for people who are thirsty. You say, now what are you talking about? Well, not just thirsty physically, but thirsty spiritually, relationally, financially, and emotionally. We're supposed to care for those folks. Next week on Easter, we'll look at the word of trust, where he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There are some things, though, that only Jesus could say. Only Jesus could say the word of assurance. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Only Jesus could say the word of substitution. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And today the word that we'll never be able to say the way Jesus said it is, it is finished. Those last three things that Jesus said from the cross, I'm thirsty, it is finished, and into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit, are things that we're looking at. In the Bible, in John, it says, later knowing that everything had now been finished so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge up the stalk of the hyssop plant, lifted it up to Jesus' lips, and when he had received the drink, he said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Now, you remember last week we said, why in the world was there a jar of vinegar there at an execution site? And we said, well, what the people drank back then, it, it, poor people drank wine that had turned to vinegar. And they would put water in it to dilute it. And so that would take care of the bacteria in the water because it had vinegar. But it would also prevent scurvy as a result of the vitamin C. They would put herbs in it to make it tasty. And it was a thing called, what, what did we say it was called? Anybody remember? Pasca, P-A-S-C-A, Pasca. It was the poor man's drink for about 300 years, and that's what they drank, and that's why that was there. And then he took a hyssop branch, and that was significant, put it up to Jesus so that he could drink it there at the cross. Go back and watch last week's message about that. And then Jesus died on the cross. Now, when that happened, what were people thinking? 
Well, the Roman soldier said, well, we're through with this guy. He's finished. And also the religious leader said, well, we don't have any more competition. Everybody's going to listen to him talk. Now he's gone. We got rid of him. The disciples were saying, well, the dream is finished. What's going to happen? And Satan was really excited because he had seen the Son of God on the cross and he was saying, hey, he's finished, I've won, and, and things are going to be different now. But when Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished because three days later he came back to life. Now what was finished? Well, Jesus' suffering was finished, wasn't it? And his humiliation was finished. His pain and his grief was finished but that's not the main thing he was talking about. What Jesus was really saying is, the work that God gave me to do is finished. It's complete. I have done it. In other words, in John, the fourth chapter, he says, my food, what's he talking about? My nourishment, the thing that is my strength. He said, that's what God wants. He said he gave it to me. I'm able to say now that it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, he, he was referring to the work that God had given. Now, there's a word in Greek, and it is a word. It's only one word to say it is finished. And I'm going to tell you how to spell it if you want to jot it down real quick, okay? Because I'm going to refer to it because it has six different meanings in the original Greek, okay? It's T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-I. Te-Teleste is the way you say it. Te-Teleste. And it's spelled T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-I. Okay? Now, Te-Teleste is a single word that sums up everything that Jesus did for us on the cross. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? The word te teleste is used six different ways. We're going to walk through it. The first one is this. It's used as an artist term in those days. If somebody finished a painting and they had finished every stroke and it was all done, there was nothing else they could do to it, they would say, hey, te teleste, it is finished. The word was also used as a servant's term. A servant would go to their master at the end of the day and they would say, hey, all of my chores, everything that I was supposed to do for you, I've completed it. It's all completely done. Now, there was, that was the first when Jesus said it is finished. He fulfilled the scripture, and that's the first point I want us to see. We're going to continue to talk about this word, but I want you to see he fulfilled the scripture. Now, last week, what did we say? We said there were over 380 prophecies in the Old Testament and that the Messiah had to fulfill every one of those prophecies in order for him to be the Messiah, right? And we said that Jesus fulfilled every single one of those prophecies. In fact, we said it would be harder not to believe in Jesus as the Messiah than to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Because what are the, the, it's astronomical trying to fulfill 380 plus prophecies. But that was the way they knew that was the true Messiah. Throughout the Old Testament, we get a partial glimpse of what God was going to do. Now let's talk about that for a minute. When people would look at the prophecies in the Old Testament, they just had a partial glimpse of what was going to happen. You ever remember Paul Harvey? Anybody old enough to remember Paul Harvey? 
Paul Harvey would tell you something, and he'd say, now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. Well, see, the rest of the story happened in the New Testament, right? So they made prophecies, and then they were fulfilled in the New Testament with the Messiah, with Jesus Christ, right? So you and I have the benefit of looking at everything. We get to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. We get to see the complete package put together. In Luke, it said, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. In other words, Jesus is talking to the disciples and others about what's going to happen, what he's doing. And this is happening after he's risen from the dead. This is what he's already completed. You know, after Jesus rose from the dead, there were several people who saw him. And he was made appearances over about 40 days, and a lot of people talked to him. A couple of disciples were walking. They were on their way to Emmaus, just a couple of guys. And Jesus appeared before them suddenly. They didn't recognize him. He started talking to them. Later they recognized him. And he started saying, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. What's he talking about? The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's talking about the Old Testament, isn't he? Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So do you realize that you and I know more about the prophecies than the people in the Old Testament? We have the benefit. The people in the Old Testament just saw a partial picture. We've seen the Old Testament. We've seen the New Testament. We've seen it all completed, and we've seen Jesus fulfill all of the prophecies. That's a tremendous benefit to us. Now, teteleste was also a term that was a judicial term that they used when the courts, and that means that justice has been Served. Isn't it interesting that that word means that because that's really what Jesus did for us. You see, the second thing ties right in with this. He satisfied the law. He, justice had been served, right? What does it require? The penalty for sin is death. But in Romans 8, it says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Now, I want to stop right there and talk about that in just a minute. What they're saying is, is that even if we know the law, we can't keep it. Look at the person next to you and say, you can't keep the law. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Yeah, just point your finger at them and let them have it, okay? But see, they're pointing back at you right now too, right? You can't keep the law. None of us can. And that's why God sent Jesus so that we could be forgiven. The law is not something that we can complete. It's not something that we can do. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in the body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that, just this, that the just requirement of the law would be fulfilled, satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So the only person who could satisfy the law was Jesus, and he did that. Colossians says, He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now look at the person next to you and say, 
That's good news. I'm glad he did that for me. I appreciate that. That's right. Because without him, we can't be forgiven. Jesus is saying, hey, I've wiped the slate clean. You know, when you confess your sins to Jesus and you ask him to forgive you and he does that and you come back to him the next day about that same sin and you say, you know that sin I was talking to you about yesterday? And he said, what sin? What are you talking about? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Because it's gone. He's wiped it away. Romans says Christ ended the law so everyone who believes in him may be right with God. Now that's wonderful. Now here, I want to make a distinction. We're talking about the law going away, right? But there's two different kinds of law. One of them we still have to keep. The other is the one we don't have to keep. The moral law applies to everybody. Think of it this way, the Ten Commandments. We still have to keep the Ten Commandments, right? That's the moral law. See, he ended the ceremonial law or the legal law, but he didn't end the moral law. You can't just say, well, I guess I can go out and murder somebody. No, murder is still murder. Adultery is still adultery. He's saying all those Old Testament laws, and there are so many of them, the ceremonial laws and the legal laws for the nation of Israel, he said, I've done away with them. So that's why we don't keep them. You say, well, they're in the Old Testament. Why don't we do them? Because Christ has done away with them. He's conquered them. When Jesus says it's finished, he says, I have satisfied the law. The word teteleste also is a sacrificial term. When the priest wanted to sacrifice a lamb, he looked for one that was out without stain or blemish. In other words, he was looking for the perfect lamb to make the sacrifice. And when he found it, he would say, teteleste, we're going to use this one. This one is the one we want to sacrifice. But it was also a business term used in the marketplace. When you finish paying a bill, then they would stamp it with a mark that said te teleste, and it means that you've paid it in full. Did you know that archaeologists even today are still finding fragments of papyrus with the word te teleste stamped on the tax receipts, meaning paid in full? The third thing Jesus came to do was he came to pay my penalty. He paid my penalty for me. That goes hand in hand. So he fulfilled the scripture, satisfied the law, and he paid the penalty. The penalty for sin is death. Jesus is saying, I paid it all. In Colossians, it says his son paid the price to free us, which means that our sins are forgiven. Now, let me ask you, which sins are forgiven? All of them? Hey, that's pretty good, isn't it? All of them. I thought maybe a part of them, 50% maybe. All of them are forgiven. That's a good word there. So every one of them has been paid in full. Now, when something is paid at your house, how many of you pay the bills at your house? How many of you would just love to pay the bills at your house? When you pay a bill and it's paid in full, do you spend a lot of time thinking about it anymore? No. What are you thinking about? The ones you hadn't paid yet. <laughs> That's the one I'm thinking about. I remember when I graduated from seminary and I got this big old thick book. It was like this had tickets in it. And every month we'd tear out a ticket, write a little check. Tear out a ticket, write a little check. It was our loan from school. Laura and I tear out a little ticket, write a little check. Every month, we finally paid that sucker off. I mean, it was a huge thing. We got down and all that was in it was left was just that back page, that back cover there. Boy, it felt good, didn't it? 
You know, I don't know where that is today. I don't look for it anymore. It's been a long time since I paid that off. I'm not interested in that anymore. I'm interested in one that's coming up tomorrow. That's the one I want to get paid, right? And so that's what we're thinking about here. It's paid in full. And so it says that he sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. And when, the, when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifice. So it's been paid in full. Now, a lot of Christians act like their heavenly insurance is not paid up because they're trying to earn their way to heaven. Have you seen that? People are still trying to do certain things that they think are going to make God love them more. And that really doesn't work. The, create, the Lord created you and me not to be afraid because he said, I have ransomed you. In other words, I've taken you out of captivity and I've paid your debt for you. I've paid for your freedom. And he knows our name. Now, the word teteleste was also used the sixth way as a battle cry. When the person was victorious, they would say over their victor, the, the person they were victorious over, they would say, teteleste, it is finished, you're defeated. So when Jesus cries that out, he says, it is done. Now, there are a couple of implications. Those are the last two points. Number four, it says, he conquered sin and death. Romans says, for the sin of this one man, Adam. He's talking about Adam. Now, I'm going to paraphrase here, and I'm not going to go through all that scripture, but what he's talking about is Adam sinned, and Jesus saves. By one man, we were separated from God, but by one man, we can be united with God. And when you go through what's called the Roman road, a set of scriptures in the book of Romans, you can explain salvation to people by going through that scripture and saying, here's what Adam did. If Adam had done the thing that was right, we wouldn't be in this predicament. But because he did, Jesus did what we needed, and he took care of us, and so we have been forgiven. Romans says this, when Christ died, he died to defeat the power of sin over my life. Now, that's good news right there. You see, because you and I, we try to do things. Have you ever tried to do things in your own strength and you couldn't do them, right? And then you ask God for his power and you were able to do that. I remember when I was in high school, I rededicated my life to Christ. I was on the football team and I had a problem. I had a habit of using bad language when I made a bad play on the football field and I tried to quit and I couldn't. And so I asked God, I said, Lord, I don't need to do that anymore. Would you help me quit that? Would you give me the power not to do that anymore? And it was surprising to me that I was able to do that with his help. It was by his power. And so I, I, I saw that. Now, Satan wants you and me to be afraid of death because he wants us to spend all time with him. But you see, you and I don't have to be afraid to die. Why? Because we're Christians. And we know where we're going. Paul says, for me to die is gain and to live is Christ. Baptism is a symbol, an outward symbol of an inward change that happens in our lives when we commit our lives to Christ. You know what we're going to do next Sunday? On Easter Sunday, we're going to baptize people in the Gulf. We're going to give them a two-way ticket. We're going to take them in and we're going to bring them back out again, see? We're going to baptize them because in the Gulf, it can be a little dangerous. Aren't you glad that we're not doing that today in the Gulf? I mean, think about it. You know, worship at the water is worship in the water today. This service was worship in the water just getting here this morning, wasn't it? But that's what baptism means. It means that we can be forgiven. It's just a, a symbol of what God does. 
Now, the fifth and last thing, he defeated the devil. When Jesus said, it is finished, Satan thought, he thought when, he, when Jesus was on the cross that he had won. But three days later, he came back to life and said, I'm back. And Satan knew that he was finished. In fact, Satan's plans for you and me were finished as well when Jesus defeated him on the cross. You say, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. It seems to me like that Satan is alive and well today. And we see that, don't we? We see it in society. But I, but I want you to see it this way. God has freed us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. So you say, well, why do I still see Satan running around messing up people's lives? Well, let me tell you. I'm going to tell you why. Okay, you ready? Have you ever seen a chicken when somebody takes it and wrings its neck? Have you ever seen that? And the head comes off a chicken, and what does the chicken do? It just runs around crazy. It's got a body with no head. That's where we get that phrase, like a chicken with your head cut off. I mean, it's a pretty good description, isn't it? Well, that's a perfect description of Satan. Because in the final days, he's dead and doesn't know it. His death warrant has been signed. It's finished. He can't accuse me. Jesus has defeated Satan. Have you ever been to Mount Rushmore? Anybody been to Mount Rushmore? If you've been to Mount Rushmore, you know this. I've never been to Mount Rushmore. I want to go. Maybe they'll have a Methodist conference at Mount Rushmore, baby. You and I can go out there. But, but you know, here's what I learned about Mount Rushmore. Did you know it was never finished? I didn't know that. There's a guy named Gutzon Borglum. That was his name. And he was the guy that did Mount Rushmore. But he died. He ran out of money and he died before he got through. So his son Lincoln took over. And he started working on it, and he lasted four months. And he said, enough of this noise, I'm going home. And so it never has been finished. What's the point? All of us die without completing our bucket list. You know, you got a bucket list? Mine, I got a long bucket list, and I, I may not complete all my bucket list. Jesus said, hey, I completed my whole bucket list. I did everything I needed to do, everything I intended to do. Because here's the point. Jesus' work is finished. But your work and my work is unfinished. You see, saving people, that was his idea, and he made it happen. And there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. Now, here's what I want you to listen to and catch this. If you look at other religions today besides Christianity, they have two letters that they use. D-O. D-O. Do this and Jesus will like you. Do this and Jesus will love you. But you know what? We as Christians, we got more letters. We got four letters that we go by. D-O-N-E. It's done. There's nothing that we have to do to be forgiven. We just have to accept the grace of God. A preacher was preaching one night, and a guy came up to him after the service. He said, hey, I want to know what I need to do to be saved. Preacher said, it's too late. He said, what do you mean it's too late? You mean the service is over? What, what do you mean? He said, it's too late. There's nothing you can do. He said, everything that needed to be done happened 2,000 years ago. And now all we have to do is accept it. And that's the same for you and me, too. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you've done everything that needed to be done 
for us. As Christians, we can just turn to you and believe in you, and we can live for you because of what you've done for us. So, Lord, I pray that we might take advantage of the grace that you've offered us. And we celebrate and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.